Today's reading is from Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our second and thanks to our recent snow day last Sunday of our Begin Again series. Uh, When I was scheduled to preach a couple of weeks ago, I was going to marvel at how quickly uh, we were in mid-January and talk about how it's like I blinked and then somehow half of January was gone and then I blinked again, and now the other half of January is gone. Uh, you may be more, far, far more organized and more disciplined than I am, but I remember seeing January 1st and 2nd click over on the calendar and being like, you know, I'd like to plan out my year. I'd like to be intentional about it. And then I um, realized that I already missed the first couple of days of the year. And then life got busy with work kicking back in and getting ready to launch small groups and trying to finish school and prepping the house for a new arrival. And then the next time I thought about it, another week had gone by. And there's this mild OCD part of me that's like, the year's ruined already. <laughs> you know, I, I already missed the boat. Like, perfect record is out the window. Uh, now, you may not be like me in that, and that's maybe a good thing. Um, but, but then I was on social media recently, um, because sometimes that's how I prepare for my sermons. <laughs> and I saw this image, achievable New Year's resolutions. One, get older. Two, gain weight. Three, do stuff. Four, drink coffee. And five, try not to die. And I'm I'm making great progress on all of those. Um, St. Benedict was a sixth century. We can take that down now. (laughs) I'm going to move on to something serious now. Um, St. Benedict was a sixth century Italian monk who once said, always we begin again. Always we begin again. And at the start of a new year, even a month in, and let me promise you it is not too late, don't give up on 2019 already. At the start of a new year, we do that quite literally. We turn the page on 2018. Now, of course, what that doesn't mean is that we automatically leave our baggage behind, right? Our scars and our traumas as much as we might like to. It doesn't mean we automatically leave our toxic relationships behind or our real-world crises in the past as much as we wish they were barred from entering the door of the new year. Our health problems and our financial concerns aren't particularly cognizant of December becoming January. And yet there's still something about a new year that gives us hope, I think. Maybe it's the promise and potential of an unlived landscape that stretches out before us. There may be things that you know are coming down the pike that are exciting for you or terrifying for you or both. Uh, A wedding, a baby, a move, finishing school, starting school, getting a new job, your kids entering a new stage of life, maybe you're hitting a particular age milestone. Maybe you're new to our community or to D.C. and you're at the same time both somewhat apprehensive and cautiously optimistic about getting to know new folks and perhaps finding a place to call your spiritual home. Maybe you're hoping that this year is the year you find your footing. That this year is the year you finally feel rooted in who you are and where you belong and what you're here for. 
at the start of the year, the vista of 2019 stretches out before us. In week one of the series, way back on the first Sunday of the year, Pastor Matthew launched our series with the question, who is the future you that God is beckoning you towards? Who is the future you that God is beckoning you towards? Because God has an invitation for every one of us, and it is an invitation of becoming. Becoming more, becoming more alive, becoming more alive in Christ. See, no matter how young or old you may be, we are all still on the journey of becoming. We are all still becoming something or other, someone or other, whether we are intentional about it or not. The question is, who are we becoming? Who is the you that you want to become this year? And how would you know whether it was better or worse? On your seats, you should have found a card. It looks like this. And I just want to make sure that you have it. So if you don't have one, Casey has a few spares. So if you don't have one, just put your hand up and we'll get you one. Efficient, well-done hospitality team. It's... Um, it's the Spires plan, which I'll go through, I'll talk through as we go through today. It's simply a tool to help us become who God intended this year. Spires is just an acronym that stands for spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, emotional, and serving. Now, let me issue a couple of quick disclaimers. First, it's not magic. It won't solve all your problems. It will not guarantee you a problem-free year. You cannot get your money back. It is simply intended to focus some intention and some attention to help us take a more holistic look at our lives and to consider what God might be saying to us. Second, this is not just a self-improvement gimmick. Okay? What we do in and with our lives, with every part of our lives, matters. And so I believe it matters that we try to bring our attention to every part of our lives so that we might position ourselves in such a way that God has the most room to work. Howard Thurman was a minister, theologian, contemplative, and activist. He was the co-founder of one of the first interracially pastored churches in America. He was the first dean of the Rankin Chapel over at Howard University and a faculty member at Howard Divinity School. He was a spiritual mentor to many, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I just finished his book, Meditations of the Heart, which I would highly recommend. And I want to share this prayer of his as a way of framing the heart behind what we're doing. It's called, I want to be better, okay? He writes, the concern which I lay bare before God today is my need to be better. I want to be better than I am in my most ordinary day-by-day -day contacts with my friends, with my family, with my casual contacts, with my business relations, with my associates in work and play. I want to be better than I am in the responsibilities that are mine. I am conscious of many petty resentments. I am conscious of increasing hostility towards certain people. I am conscious of the effort to be pleasing for effect, not because it is a genuine feeling on my part. I am conscious of a tendency to shift to other shoulders burdens that are clearly my own. I want to be better in the quality of my religious experience. I want to develop an honest and clear prayer life. I want to develop a sensitiveness to the will of God in my own life. I want to develop a charitableness toward my fellows that is far greater even than my most exaggerated pretensions. I want to be better than I am. I lay bare this need and this desire before God in the quietness of this moment. 
The Spires plan came about because several years ago I was reflecting on the passage Lisa read earlier, the greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I was thinking about how to do that. How do we love God with all that we are, with all that we are, and how do we love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Last week, our friend Pastor Jay challenged us to love and care for the neighborhoods God has placed us in, the neighbors God has placed around us, and to allow God to be at work in us as much as we ask God to be at work through us. Well, I hope this week, this tool can be just one practical way to do that. I'm going to try to get real practical. I don't have time to talk in depth about each of these categories, but I want to touch on them and maybe stir some thoughts for you and God and maybe a friend or spouse to think about and talk through. And I would recommend whatever you end up adding to your Spires plan, you do this with a friend or in community. Encourage each other. Hold each other accountable. Pray for each other. Before we plan forward, though, we have to look back. In order to know how to get where we want to go, we need to know where we are and how we got here. And so first, I want you to think about either 2018 as a whole or just the month of January. And I want you to take that and take the the card and write a number out of 10 by each heading for how you would rate your health in that area over that period of time. Does that make sense? So if, whether you're thinking about 2018 or whether you're just thinking about January, think about how, how was my spiritual health? And, and, and just jot a number down. How was, what was my, my physical health like? And jot a number down. Now this is obviously purely subjective, but even that is an indicator of something, right? And so let me say, as you, as you do this, this is not about judgment. This is not about guilt or shame. This is about calibration. This is about... Reflection. This is about as honest a self-assessment as we can bring. So I'm going to give you just 30 seconds to just write down the, the first thing that comes to your head for each of these headings. How, how would you rate your health in these categories, whether you think about it over 2018 or just over the first month of this year? Now later, what I want to invite you to do is to think through and note down some of the things that either positively or negatively impacted that score, the reasons why you wrote down what you wrote down. So, for instance, if you didn't pray all year, that may have brought down your spiritual health. Uh, If you worked out every other day, that may have brought up your physical health. Or if you started going to therapy, that helped your emotional score. Does that make sense? And the goal of that exercise is to identify the things that affect our soul health, our whole being health, so that we can discern, for example, you know, was that a one-off or is that a habit? Was that something that happened to me that I had no control over? Or is that something I can actually change? But that digging down is for later, because I'm going to keep going. Before we we look forward, though, I want to set the framework for this. As I said at the beginning, it's about who we're becoming, about who God is making us into. As I said at the beginning, this is not just about self-improvement, but about a tool for growth in Christ, for bringing all of ourselves, what I would describe as our souls, all of ourselves into, in love for God and in love for our neighbors and in love for ourselves. And that's the framework. Love. Love is the framework. As we start to do this Spires plan, as we think about who we become, as we seek God in every aspect of our lives, love is the starting point and love is the standard. Okay, love is the starting point, and love is the standard. 
Let me explain. First, love is the starting point. This is how I would summarize Matthew's message from a few weeks ago. Where we begin, what serves as the foundation for everything else is that we know the love of God. Love is to will the love, the, love is to will the good of the beloved. Therefore, to know the love of God is to know that God wills your good. To know that God has the most consistent, most unflinching commitment to your good. To know that God does hold you faithfully and unstintingly in his affections. Now, I'm all for you being or becoming a better person. It's much better than being or becoming a worse person. But what Paul prayed for the churches he had planted was that they might have power and strength to know the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of God. That they might be rooted in the assurance of that love. That they might know their place in the boundless care and goodwill of God. That's what everything else was built on. That's what everything else flows from. That's why we started there. So if you weren't here a few weeks ago or if you haven't yet had a chance to listen, I would strongly encourage you to go back and do so. Love is the starting point, not just because God loves us, not just because God first loved us. Love is the starting point because God is love. Love is the starting point because if God is love, what that's saying is God is an eternal community of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist and have always existed in a relationship of love of self-assured, self-giving, others-serving love. Love is the starting point because if love is what God is, if love is what God is like, then at least three things follow. First, love is what we were created out of. God was having a blast before we came along, perfectly content in God's self. But it is in the nature of love to create, to create with, to create good things with. And that's what we see in Genesis 1, the divine community joyfully creating out of the overflow of love. Two, love is what we were created into. If God created the heavens and the earth, then the world God created was one with love at its root, love at its core, love in its DNA. Love is the grain of the universe. Now there is a lot of brokenness and sin in our world and in our lives, no doubt. But God made all things good. And we ought not forget that. We cannot forget that. God's love still flows beneath everything. And three, love is what we were created for. The Bible says that humanity was made in the image of God. In other words, we were made to look like God, to represent God, to reflect God. Now, if God is love and if Jesus is God, then it is no wonder that the invitation of the gospel is to follow Jesus, right? To be more like Jesus, to grow in becoming like Jesus, to allow God's Holy Spirit to transform us in Christ-likeness. For in so doing, we will become more loving, more like God, and more truly human. For those things are synonymous. Does that make sense? Love is the starting point. See, if love is not the starting point, if the knowledge of being loved doesn't come first, all of our efforts to be or become better can very easily become attempts to win affection or affirmation or acceptance or approval. Many years ago, when I was young and single and in seminary, I went out with a woman 
who ended up turning me down because I wasn't as interested in justice as she was and as she wanted her partner to be. And I wasn't. God hadn't yet brought me to that place. But what I said at the time was something along the lines of, I could do that. I could be that. I was absolutely willing to make an effort to become better. One, because I cared about her, but two, so that she would love me, so that she would accept me, so that she would, go, so that she would date me. Doing things for other people because you care about them is good. It's better than not caring or not doing good things for others. <laughs> but healthy relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, family relationships, healthy relationships are, are not ones in which we do things in order to be loved, in order to be accepted, but ones in which we do things because we love and are loved. If love is not the starting point, guilt can become the primary motivator. And while guilt can temporarily be a good motivator, it is hazardous in the long run, and toxic is the main reason. Love is the starting point. Now, I know we live in a world where we apply for jobs or for grad school or we go on dates and it feels like we have to prove ourselves, that we have to show why we are desirable. And when a rejection comes, because it always does, we feel less, we feel diminished, we feel alone. That is how our world works. But that is not how our God works. And I pray to that God that that is not how we as a family of God, we as the body of Christ, we as individual Jesus becomers work. I pray that the foundation of your life is that you always know that you are loved by the God of the universe. No matter what else comes your way. Love is the starting point. But love is also the standard if love is the starting point, because God is love, and Jesus is God, so Jesus is love, and we are called to love because we were created out of love, and created into love, and created to love, and created in the image of the God who is love, then is it any wonder that the greatest commandments, according to Jesus, are to love the Lord your God, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Love God, love neighbor, love yourself. If you're looking for a simple standard, a clear measuring stick of improvement, of maturity, of growth, of humanity even, I'd start there. Jesus was pretty clear about it. He picked the greatest commandment, loving God with everything we are from Deuteronomy 6, and he picked the love of neighbor from Leviticus 19 as the second greatest. In other versions, Jesus says that they are alike. That to love your neighbor is to love God. That how you love your neighbor is how you love God. For in the words of James, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen when you do not love your neighbor whom you have seen? In other words, we cannot separate the vertical aspect of our existence from the horizontal. The love of God from love of neighbor. That's the thrust of Jesus' teaching here. It's the thrust of Jesus' teaching when he talks about caring for the least of these. For when you did X for them, you also did it for me. 
Love is the standard. The Apostle Paul wrote, If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith to set, that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr but don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. If I have not love, I gain nothing. If I have not love, all of these other achievements, spiritual monuments, avail me not. Now, the skeptic in me is thinking, I mean, people would still benefit from hearing God's word spoken with power and understanding God's mysteries, and I'm sure the poor would be thankful for resources, but maybe it's not nothing, but I'm missing the point, aren't I? The point remains, seek love. Love is the standard set for us, the calling sounded out, the invitation offered to us by Christ himself, he who is, he who is love. Love is the starting point and love is the standard. And it's important to be clear that it's not just one or the other. It's both of them, both and. The paradox and the tension is holding these things together. Love is the starting point and love is the standard. Love is what we rest in and what we respond to and what we respond with. God loves us as we are and God loves us too much to let us stay there. God loves us as we are, and because of that love, God draws us toward maturity and transformation, calling us to love and grow in love. By the grace of God, my parents loved me as well as they could. They loved me when I did well. They loved me when I failed a class. They loved me when I exercised my teenage independence. They loved me when I was in college and I didn't communicate with them for a few months. They loved me when I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And they loved me on the journey of figuring it out. And they have always loved me so much that they have rejoiced at and encouraged every stage of growth and maturation. Every milestone in my education, in my vocation, in my emotional health, in my relationships, and in my faith. That's what love can do. Because of the great love of God, because of God's great love, we can start where we are and stretch for what could be. We are gracious with ourselves as God is gracious with us, and we recognize that growth happens. Growth happens in those places where we're actually a little bit uncomfortable, where we're a little outside of our comfort zones, where we're a little out of our element. That's a lesson the exiles learned in Babylon, as we heard last week. Let me also say, each one of us is uniquely crafted and gifted. Each one of us has a unique history with triumphs and sorrows that may be similar to others here, but they are not the same. And so I can't provide each one of you with a tailor-made silver bullet formula for health and wholeness and prosperity and comfort. I am sorry to say. Each of us, each of you, needs to discern 
thoughtfully, prayerfully, in conversation with God and with people who love you and care for you, what path you want to walk this year. The quick-fire suggestions I'm going to offer, and they will be quick-fire, they may not be for you. They may not apply precisely to your situation. That's okay. The Spires plan is not a moment-by-moment, figure-your-life-out-down-to-the-T blueprint. It's a guide. It's a prompt. It's a suggestion. Ask instead, what does this area of my life point to? Life in God's kingdom or, or life somewhere else? Ask instead, in what ways does this area of my life point to Jesus? Ask instead, who is God calling me to become through this? Not a finished product, not yet, but more what? Let me spin through these categories. Uh, I was a little ambivalent about naming spiritual as a category because everything is spiritual. Reading your Bible, praying, being committed to and involved in a church community, being part of a small group, naming all of that so-called spiritual can, if we're not careful, make it easier for us to just compartmentalize the so-called spiritual and separate it from everything else in life. As if God only has something to say in those moments. Or as if those moments have nothing to do with other ones. Or as if God only shows up and is present in those spiritual times. Father Ron Rollheiser says that our spirituality is what we do with our desires. Our spirituality is what we do with our desires. It's how we meet our need for affirmation or how we sate our hunger for affection or how we quench our thirst for acceptance. Your spiritual life is your life. God is as present with you when you walk out the door after this service and get in your car or head to lunch or wake up tomorrow exhausted and not wanting to go to work or when you're at work or when you're looking for work as at any other time. We might just tend to be more present to God in those so-called spiritual times. So maybe what I mean by having this category of spiritual is how can you be more present to God? Now, on the, the flip side of the card, on the blurb side, I mentioned trying to think through these categories in terms of rhythms, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. Our rhythms are just our habits, things that come naturally to us, though they did not start that way. Sometimes those habits can be good. Brushing your teeth is good. Having a shower, eating dinner together. Sometimes they can be bad. Being on your phone last thing at night, ignoring your friends or your loved ones, overworking isolating yourself in times of stress. When it comes to the spiritual, what rhythms or habits or practices will help you to be and become more present to God, more aware of God's presence with you? For example, I, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up being taught to have what was called the quiet time, or a QT for short, as my parents referred to it. Now, sometimes I would see my parents do it at the dinner table, but sometimes they did it in their own room, and for me, having a QT meant reading from the Bible or, or from a devotional like Our Daily Bread and, and praying. And then as I got older, maybe a little bit of journaling. It was really easy for that to become rote, to become a dry routine, something I did in order to cross it off my list for what made a good Christian. And that's actually a pretty natural progression of spiritual development. Traditions are handed down, and we do them because we're told to or because that's what we've always done or because that's what everyone else is doing. But then we might start to question why, why we're doing them, or what use they are. And we may stop doing them. And then maybe, hopefully, you come to a place of maturity 
of understanding the why behind the what, and maybe that reinvigorates that practice for you. Or maybe you learn to adapt that practice for yourself, to own it for yourself. That's what happened for me in this situation. I came to realize the richness and importance of having a QT. I refer to it as quality time with God. Time which I was intentionally setting aside to be formed by and to be present to, present with God. Ruth Haley Barton writes, amidst the welter of possible distractions, an essential discipline for leaders, and I would add for all of us, is to craft times of quiet in which we allow God to show us those things that we might otherwise miss. We need time for the chaos in our soul to settle so that we can turn aside to look at the great sights in our own life and seek understanding about what they mean. Japanese-American artist Mako Fujimura was once asked how to interpret his paintings. And he said, in order to understand something, you have to stand under it. In order to understand something, you have to stand under it, to allow it to speak to you. And he said that takes time. He, write, he said, it usually takes at least, at least 10 minutes of sitting, quieting our hearts, and beholding the work before our eyes start to see and our brain stops trying to categorize. The same is true with your spiritual life. Those moments when we try to be more intentionally present to and aware of God. Have you ever tried to pray or meditate quietly and your mind just goes to all of the things that suddenly seem more important than they were 30 seconds ago? How might we calm the monkey from chattering away in our minds? How do we focus our attention so that we might bring more of it, maybe even all of it, to God? This is what I try to do in case it's helpful for you. I try to start with a few minutes of just sitting still, just centering quieting my heart, of settling in a spot, of reminding myself that I am, that I always am, and I am in that particular moment with the God who loves me just as I am. Sometimes I'll start with a reminder that I've shared here before. I am one in whom God dwells and delights, and I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I'll say it and I'll pray it over and over to settle myself to ground myself. It could be a short prayer of, uh, of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Help me to be present to you in it. And then I can read from the Bible. I can remind myself of the ways God has revealed himself to humanity before so that I might remember how God may be revealing himself today. Reminding myself of who he has revealed as revealed in Jesus so I might remember who I'm called to be. Reminding myself of how the Spirit was at work then so I might remember how the Spirit might be at work now. And then I might spend time interceding, lifting up prayers for myself, for others, for the world. Each day I'll have a different theme, one day for the church, one day for my family, one day for friends, for the world, and so on. Just to help me hold things together. That's just one example of a daily spiritual practice. In the fall, we talked about the importance of Sabbath, a weekly spiritual practice. Maybe a quarterly spiritual practice is to take a retreat somewhere, to turn your phone off for, for half a day or even a full day, ask a friend to help watch your kids for a few hours. It could be as simple as making a trip to the Arboretum now that it is open again. What is it for you, for this spiritual category? What rhythms and habits can help you be and become more present to God.
And then what would it look like to consider your physical health? To treat your body as it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Which you have from God. That you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Now, Paul was saying this in the context of sexual promiscuity within the Corinthian church. He was reminding them that what they do with their bodies matters. What we do with our bodies matters similarly as it pertains to our sexuality, yes, but also as it pertains to our physicality in general, because our bodies are also homes for the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us, in these fragile fleshly frames. So yes, Exercising, eating well, getting medical checkups are all ways of stewarding the resource of our bodies, the vessels God has given us to reflect His image, the physical containers and conduits for God's Spirit. What we put into our bodies matters. What we use our bodies for matters. How we maintain our bodies matters. And so what rhythms or habits can you undertake to glorify God in your body, in what you do with your body? I'm going to suggest one. Try to get enough sleep. Now I know, as the new parents are shooting me looks, I'm about to join y'all, so I know this may be a challenge for some of us. Whether we're new parents, or we're working two jobs, or we're working while we're also in school, or just that's the season you're in. And if that is the season you're in, try to get as much as you can. Sleep deprivation, as we know, it decreases our physical capacity leads to diminished concentration, impaired attentiveness and alertness, higher risks of health problems and memory loss. It lowers our sex drive, just to name a few. But let's not fool ourselves in thinking that our physical life does not affect our spiritual life. How many here are more patient when they are tired? How many are more kind when they are hangry? Some things that may help in trying to get enough sleep, develop a, a regular routine, a time of getting ready to go to sleep and winding down, maybe doing some reading or praying or meditation. Stop using electronics an hour or so before bedtime so your brain can be done with the simulation that the blue light of screens and the world of social media and the stress of work emails brings. Eat well and at consistent times exercise regularly. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like for you to treat it as such? How might we bring then our intellectual lives under the Lordship of Christ? Romans 12.2 says, let God change the way you think. Let God change the way you think. What are you putting into your mind? Maybe your plan to grow intellectually, to love God with all of your mind this year can be about what you're going to take in. Uh, one of my goals in this area in this year is to read more and to bump up. Those of you who know me are laughing because I read a lot anyway, but that's not the point. Um, but also to read more percentages of perspectives I don't normally get to read. For me, particularly, that's women and people of color. Now, that isn't just some exercise in diversity or political correctness. It comes from a desire to listen to and learn from perspectives I don't normally get to hear to consider how God might be speaking through them, how I might see God's kingdom through their perspective, and how they might form me more in love. 
Maybe it's not something you need more of, but something you need less of. Maybe there's just some junk in your life that needs pruning. Less time on social media or less time watching crap TV, less time doing things that aren't good for you in the long run. I'm not talking about removing all of the fun from your life. Okay? I know there are times where we just need to unwind and allow our brains to chill. But I also think most of us know, if we're being honest, when something is becoming unhealthy. And if you don't know, ask someone who, lo who, who knows you well and ask them to say it kindly. Maybe a practice for you can be to engage in a learning relationship from someone you consider wise. To ask them to invest in a particular area that you think they're good at and you'd like to grow in. And that could fall into our next category as well, relational health. To just throw out some prompts, what are some boundaries you might need to draw? What are some relationships that need to be reconciled? Where might you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness? How might you intentionally invest in relationships in a city where life-giving time can get squeezed out real quick and friendships can just sort of peter out? And I mean this for all of us, not just for the single folk. All of us, I want all of us to seek those relationships, to seek to build those relationships. Who are the friends whose wounds are faithful, who are willing to be completely honest with you even if it hurts? Who are the friends with whom we are being completely honest, especially with those things or sins that thrive in isolation, with those struggles that we're wrestling with alone? When it comes to your emotional health, what grief or hurt remains unprocessed, untouched? What are you hoping will just go away over time? FYI, it probably won't. FYI, it'll probably come out in some other way and hurt someone completely innocent. FYI, hurt people hurt people. What tears do you need to let yourself cry? We've said before and we'll say again, we have at Christ City Church an amazing resource, a counseling consultant who is your friend. Stacy Schwenker is happy to help you navigate the tangled landscape of finding a therapist. To look at it another way, what are you doing to seek joy? What are the spaces and places that remind you of the boundless hope and creativity of God and how are you pursuing those and with whom are you pursuing them? And finally, I know I've stormed through, but finally, serving. This is actually a new category from the original formulation of Spires. And I added it because the Spire plan, without the S on the end, it could very easily become introspective and self-centered without any sense of what it means for how we relate to others. I added this because I wanted something to reflect love as the standard that our own maturity and growth leads us to grow in giving to and caring for and seeking the good of others, in other words, loving them. And so to take one of the numerous Dr. King quotes you may have heard last week, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? For some of you, serving is your work. And the invitation is to find ways to remember the purpose behind it. Because work like that is often draining and tiring and can very often be discouraging. Find people who will remind you of the purpose behind your work. Find people who will remind you that you are more than your work. 
Find people who will nourish you outside of your work so that you can continue in your work. For others of you, the kick up the backside is a reminder that nobody's tendency is toward selflessness. We train ourselves away from selfishness by putting ourselves in situations where we are not the beneficiary or the star. And that may look like volunteering through DC 127 or diaper night or volunteering with your small group at the minor PTO meetings. It may look like finding ways to serve your neighbors and that will also involve getting to know them. What is your health as it pertains to thinking of other people and how can we improve it? I want to give us a few moments to think about this. The card you have is probably not quite big enough for you to write down any comprehensive plan, but maybe it's enough for you to write down one thing, one word in each category, or a couple things in the categories that jump out to you, whether it's something you want to start doing or something you want to stop doing, whether it's something you want to put on or something you want to take off, something you want to do more of or something you want to do less of. Let me say again, we start where we are. We respond as fully as we can with whatever blessings and limitations God has given us. We love God as best we can. We seek health as faithfully as we can. We start where we are. We always start where we are. And so what it looks like for you to steward your mind and your body and your spirit, it's going to look different from what the person next to you is doing to steward their mind and their body and their spirit. And so as the band comes up, I want to just give us some space, just a minute or two, to write down a word or a thought, whatever has, has come to mind for you, a pin for you to come back to later. Let's just take a few moments to do that. Whatever God has put on your heart, I hope you hang on to it. As I said, it's really easy to think that God is present to us here and then we leave this place and we, well, we, we forget that God didn't leave us when we walked out the door, that God doesn't just parachute into minor elementary on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It's really easy for us to forget the things that God says. And so this is Howard Thurman, again, from Meditations of the Heart. He writes, In the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence of God, my heart whispers, Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. That in fair weather or foul, in good times or in tempests, in the days when the darkness and foe are nameless or familiar, I may not forget that to which my life is committed. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve that I may not forget that to which my life is committed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.